this series, Healthy Church, that we're starting today, I hear this and I talk to some people, you know, let's be honest, this isn't really much of a sexy title for a series, right? Healthy Church. It's not like contentment in a discontent world. That was like, people are like, oh yeah, I need this. This is a great series. And a lot of people love that because it's so practical. This is what I need right now. I need contentment. And Healthy Church? I don't know. I don't know. Is that really... But it's so important. God has some really important things to tell us. You know, we don't love the ideas of health, but it's so important. I, I read this week that LeBron James, who had a good chance of making it to the NBA Finals again for like the 16th time or something like that. I don't know if somebody will correct me. Probably 8th or something. He's incredible athlete. One of the greatest athletes alive of our generation, right? Do you know how much he spends to keep his body healthy every year? $1.5 million. That's on his training. It's on his personal chef. It's so they can get one of those, go into like those cryogenic chambers, like Han Solo. Isn't that what he does? Something like that. I don't know, but he's like eating right, he's exercising, he's so focused on staying healthy so that he can perform. I mean, he's been in the NBA since he was 18, and he's 33 now, and he's still going just as strong, and it's incredible because he focuses so much on staying healthy. You don't like to talk about it, and it's like, oh, it's not as fun or as exciting. But being healthy is so important, and it's the same thing for us as a church. So I know it's not the most exciting series, but it's such an important series for who we are and what we do. Because when we're a part of a healthy church, that means that we get to be affected, that it's going to make our lives better and make us become more like the people that we're called to be. And it's also going to impact the people around us. We're going to have a bigger impact on our community, on the city of Denver, and on our world, because we are healthy. So that's what we're striving for in this series. So today we're going to start out by talking about the goal. What's the goal of a healthy church? Let's stay focused on that, that mission, that purpose. And then when you come back, we're going to talk about leaders next week. And it's just going to be a five-week series, but we're going to talk about, hey, the leaders that we need in our church have to be healthy too. We want to be a healthy church. We're going to talk about what we teach, the doctrine that we believe, that that's so important. We have to make sure that that's right and healthy. We're, we're going to talk about things like the relationships we have in the church, because those are so important. We need to be showing each other love and kindness and, and what are those relationships supposed to be like. And then in the last message in the series, we're going to talk about how what we believe then impacts us so we go out and make a huge impact around us. So this title series is going to be short, it's going to be packed, but it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Are you excited more about it now? Yeah. Oh, you better get really excited. This is going to be good. It's going to be a good series. Healthy Church. So we're going to start out by talking about the goal of the Healthy Church today. Because that's what Paul opens this letter with, the goal of a healthy church. And this is so important because it's so easy to get distracted from the goal, isn't it? So easy to get distracted and focused on little things and forget the big thing. We do this all the time, and it can happen a lot of times in churches. People will be like, Matt, why do we do this ministry or do this? Because we love this ministry, we love this style, I love this style of music. We all have our preferences for what we want in church. Some of you are church shopping right now and thinking about all that stuff. I'm sorry, that's a hard place to be, and I'm glad you're here because we're going to be a healthy church, right? But what I'm saying is that we get so focused on these little things and we forget, well, what's the main purpose of us being here? Why are we here as a church? Why do we gather together? Why do we um, do what we do as a church? It's so easy to get so focused on the little things we forget the big things. Has anybody seen the movie The Bridge on the River Kwai? Yeah, first service, like everyone has seen it. I've never even heard of it. Well, it came out in the 50s. It's a little bit before some of time. <laughs> but The Bridge on the River Kwai, it tells the story of some British POWs in World War II. So they were in a POW camp held by the Japanese in Burma, that area, Myanmar, 
And they were tasked, basically they were slaves in that POW camp, to build a bridge over a river. And they needed it, and the Japanese wanted it, and finally the British said, okay, we're going to do this, and we're going to do it right, and some of them were engineers, so they came up with good plans for how to make this bridge. They're, they even were like, hey, this isn't the right location, we need to move it, so we're in the right location, so it can be a safe bridge and bring people across. But then at the end of the story, at the end of the movie, well, the Allies are coming in to take out the Japanese, and they need to destroy that bridge as part of the strategy to win the war. But here are these British POWs, and it was so hard for them to let go of that. Because they built this bridge. They put their blood, sweat, and tears into making this bridge. And they forgot, as they were so focused on this task, they forgot the bigger purpose. They weren't there to build a bridge. They were there to, build, to win a war. Right? Sometimes we get so fixated on that, and we can get so focused on these little things, what we do as a church. And, and what I want us to do is step back and say, what's the big picture? What's the goal? Why are we here? Why do we even need a church? So that's where we're going to start, because that's where Paul starts as well in his letter to Titus. And I think this is so important. I saw this quote from Dwight Moody, the great evangelist. He said, Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. It's a great failure, right? But we need to say, what's the greatest thing? And I think this is so important as a church. We want to succeed at the thing that really matters. So we want to make sure we have this goal clear in front of us. And we stay on that. And whatever we do, all those little things, they support the bigger goal. So let's start in Titus chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> we read, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Then I want you to jump down to verse 4. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So we open up this book, and what is this book that we're reading here in Titus? It's a letter. It's a letter, right? Paul is writing to Titus. We get the uh, author and we get the recipient, don't we? Right here in these first few verses, and we realize, hey, this book that we're reading was actually written as a letter. So Paul, who wrote this, it says, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus. Paul is the apostle Paul. We know him, you may know him as Saul. He was the guy who hated Christians, hated Christianity, wanted them to die, and he was riding uh, to this city, and then all of a sudden, boom, he was blinded by the light. That's where that song comes from, in case you're wondering. And he got knocked off, and he had this encounter with Jesus. This encounter with Jesus, and it radically transformed his life. From He went from hating Christians to being like one of the best Christians ever. He wrote 13 books of the Bible. 13 letters, and this is one of them that he wrote. And it says that he's an apostle. That word literally means one who is sent out. One who is sent out. Now in the Bible, most of the time in the New Testament, when you see that word apostle, it refers to people who were sent out by Jesus himself. By Jesus himself. It, it always talks about the people who knew Jesus and were sent out by him. There's the twelve apostles, you may know them, the twelve disciples, the twelve apostles. But there's also other apostles described in the Bible. These are people that, were, that knew Jesus and he said, Okay, now go and take my message, my gospel, to all the nations. And, and go out and start churches, lead people to know Jesus, and transform communities. So Paul is writing this letter. And he's writing it not to a church, as most of his letters are written to, but to a particular person. Four of his letters are two individuals. Two individuals. And one of them here, Titus, is written to this man, Titus. 
said, my true son. So Titus was younger than Paul. And he was really Paul's apprentice. He's not really mentioned in the book of Acts at all. He isn't. His name doesn't appear, which is interesting. Some people think that maybe he was Luke's brother or a sibling of Luke. That's why Luke, who wrote Acts, doesn't talk about him. But he's mentioned a lot in the different letters that Paul wrote. We can gather from all the data from the New Testament that Titus was probably a close friend of Paul, his apprentice, someone that was with Paul for over a decade in training. He was like the right-hand man of Paul. Always there, always learning from him, helping him out. And now Paul has now left Titus, as we'll see next week, with a brand new church. In fact, it may have not even been technically a church. He left with a group of Christians on an island. Does anybody know what island Titus was? Crete. Okay, so I want you to see this map. Let's talk about it in verse 5, which we're stopping in verse 4 today. That's why I don't read it yet. But on the island of Crete. So Crete there, it's part of modern-day Greece. It's an island in the, the Mediterranean. And I looked it up, and it, it's about the equivalent of Denver and Aurora put together. Not a huge island. But there's several cities there and towns and people living there. And, you know, it's in the Mediterranean, so you can see modern-day Greece. You know, the gospel started in Israel, that's where Jesus died and rose from the dead, and then sent out the disciples, especially Paul, who went all the way up into Turkey, which is called Asia Minor in the Bible, even all the way in Greece and Italy, where they were planting churches and new people were becoming Christians. So the gospel is spreading all over this place, and now there's a bunch of baby Christians here in Crete. And Paul says, we need to leave someone, a leader that can help organize, help establish a healthy church. Now, we're not taught about how these people became Christians. Like, who was the guy who planted the church or whatever? We are told that on the day of Pentecost, that was the day that the Holy Spirit came. It was a wild day because there were tongues of fire. People were preaching. Uh, and Peter gave this amazing sermon. 3,000 people came to Christ. We're told that some of those people were Cretans. That's the word, Cretans. They were from Cretans. So maybe they went home then and said, Hey, you heard about this guy, Jesus. He rose from the dead. You've got to believe in him. So there's all these people who don't know much about church, don't know much about faith, brand new believers, and they're there, and they need some help. So Paul is saying, hey, I'm going to leave you, Titus, there, and now I'm writing you this letter so you can have a good idea of how to establish a healthy church. I, I love this letter because it's to a pastor, basically, right? I like this because I'm like, hey, I, I want to know this because I've been here a year at this church, but I want us to be a healthy, thriving church that makes a huge impact in your lives and in the lives of people in our community as well. So how can we become a healthy church so we can learn by like overhearing the conversation? Paul is writing to Titus about these Cretans, but we can say, hey, how, what can we learn from Paul that we can apply today into our church? How can we be a healthy church today? So that's what our series is going to be about. And in this message, he starts out by talking about his goal. Now, this is interesting because he starts out by saying, boom, this is what it's all about. This is what I've given my life to. And basically, he's saying, I want you to do the same, Titus. In your church, this should be your goal as well. So that's what we're going to see in verse 1, as we pull that up again. The goal of a healthy church. It says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Paul is saying, I'm an apostle. I've been sent out for a purpose. This is my goal. To further the faith of God's elect. Those who have been chosen and saved by God. I want to further their faith. I want them to grow in knowledge. For what? Godliness. So the goal of a healthy church, Paul is saying, is godliness. 
The goal of a healthy church is godliness. This is what it's all about. I want to take people who don't know God, who are far away from God, who are lost, who are stuck in sin, who are broken, who are depressed, who are angry. I want to take those people and I want to move them closer and closer and closer so that they can be godly. We're taking people where they are, wherever they are, and we're going to take them and help them grow. Day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. We might take a few steps back. We're going to help move forward again so that we can become more godly. Saying this is what I'm all about. Paul says, this is what I want you to be about, Titus, and I want churches everywhere to be a part of this. The goal of a healthy church, he says, is godliness. Is godliness. We see this in another section in Ephesians chapter 4. If we can jump ahead to that slide. He writes to another church, the Ephesians. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the pastors and teachers, people like me, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Saying this is all that we do. Paul's an apostle. He's sending out Titus a pastor. He's saying this is what it's all going to be about. We're helping people mature, grow in their faith, become more and more godly. More and more godly. And he says this is what the goal of the healthy church is supposed to be. So, I bring this up because I think sometimes we forget this. We get so fixated on different things. Like, I want that ministry. I want this type of music. I want that type of preaching. I don't know about that preacher. He's a little too young. It's not really my style. You know, we, we have these preferences of what we want, but we forget about what's the What's the purpose? I think it would be similar to um, you inviting your friend. In the first service, I said symphony, but I don't know if you guys aren't really a symphony crowd. You guys going to the Taylor Swift concert? Some of you are not. Some of you were there. It's not your Instagram post. You have to take the Taylor Swift concert. You buy a ticket for a friend. You're so excited to bring them to this concert. You can fill in like with the, the concert that you really do want to go to. You bring your friend. You love Taylor Swift. You want everybody. Oh, I love it. You bring your friend. Pay big bucks for the good, good seats up front, right? Not even seats. You just get to stand there, right? All oh, you backstage passes, and you get there, and your friend who comes along with you reaches into the backpack right when Taylor's about to come out. Pulls out. His Beats by Dre headphones. Noise canceling and puts them on. And I'm fine to come here, but I don't really want to listen to them. I want to listen to the, the, the game. What? You'd be so angry, wouldn't you? The point of being here is that you hear this music. It's beautiful music. You got one, whatever. You know, maybe it's not Taylor Swift. Maybe somebody else for you. That's fine. But you say, hey, you're missing the purpose. Well, what about if you invite a friend over and you're going out to a restaurant, a really fancy restaurant? It's on you. You're taking everybody out. You know it's going to be pretty pricey, but you're like, this food is so good, I want you to experience it. And right when the entrees come, your friend reaches into his bag, pulls out a little Ziploc baggie, opens it up, starts eating some deer jerky. I don't mind that food. I'm just going to stick with my jerky. <laughs> Sorry, hunters. It's not really the most appetizing thing. Come on, there's a feast. This is like the best food in town. This is a great meal. Why are you eating the deer jerk? Save that for the deer stand. Right? Well, it's, you're missing the purpose. We're here for a feast to enjoy it. And you're eating something else? You're listening to some other music? It's almost like buying a membership to the gym and never working out. Oh, wait, sorry. So have you done that? We forget the purpose, right? It's so easy to forget the purpose. And, and that's what we do when we come to a church and say, no, 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 I'm just going to stay the way I am. Or I'm just going to be, no, no. 
I want it to be my thing, my thing only. No, no, we're about godliness. We're about taking steps forward, growing, and when we take a step back, we're saying, okay, I'm going to dust myself up, and I'm going to try to move ahead again. We're about godliness. You know, we're a church that, we have people coming, you know, you're, you're broken right now. You're hurting, you're here, and you're like, man, I've fallen into some terrible sin, I'm making terrible choices, I need help. We want you to be here. We do. We are a welcoming church for anybody, people who don't even believe we have those people, and we just, they just keep coming back. That's cool. Keep coming. You know, keep exploring and taking another step of faith. But what I'm going to tell you is if you're here today, you are not going to stay there. In our church, the goal is godliness. And we're going to move you maybe a step. It might take you months, years, but then we'll, we'll take you a step forward. And we'll help move you a, a little bit further to grow in godliness. This is what I want to say to you. In our church, you come as you are but you won't stay as you are. You come as you are, broken, hurting, not knowing anything about faith. You come as you are, but you don't stay as you are. That's what Paul is saying. The goal is godliness. What's the step we can take to move people forward? Can we pull up verse 1 again? You know, he says the goal is godliness. But I really wanted to talk about this word. So what does godliness mean? I think we all have different ideas, different definitions. And I was really interested because as I studied this word, I spent a lot of time on this word because I thought I just meant like, like God. That's what it means in English, right? Like God. But the word in Greek is actually the Greek word eusabion. Eusabion. And I thought that was really interesting because that word does not mean like God. It, it means like good religion. It, it can be translated sometimes as religion or piety. A lot of times it's just godliness, because maybe that's an English word. But what's so interesting about this word is it talks about two different things that are married, that converge together. It's talking about things in your mind that you think and you believe, but it doesn't stay there. It's things in your hands that you actually do. When we read godliness, it's the marriage of those two things. And this is the equation I give you. Godliness is the head plus the hand. It's right thinking plus right action. So we're going to think and believe things differently, but it's actually going to lead us to change the way we live our lives. How we interact with other people, how we have marriages and families. It's going to change everything about us. It doesn't just stay up in our head. This is what I'm talking about with godliness and what Paul meant when he used that phrase. It's going to be faith that you believe in your mind, but that you live out. So that's why I'm using that, that metaphor of head and hand, right? Head and hand. Those two coming together, that's what godliness is. And this is really what the Bible talks about all the time of how our faith is supposed to be. Jesus' brother James said, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is what? Dead. It's worthless. Stupid. He even says in this section that the demons have perfect theology. Do you know that? They believe in God, but that doesn't matter because they go against what God says. And that's why Jesus himself in Luke 11, said, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. This is the godliness we're talking about. It's really easy to study the Bible, hear a good message, and then go out and say it's And we're good at it. I'm good at it. We all are. It's challenging to go out and actually do it, isn't it? It's so easy to, to study theology, study the Bible, know the Samaritan story backwards and forwards, have know it in Greek and study it, but then actually do go out and love our neighbor as ourselves. That's the hard part, right? So when I'm talking about godliness, it's saying, I want you to not just know things. 
I want you to live it out. I want you to live it out. So the reason why I bring this up is because churches usually, or can often, fall to one side or the other because they just focus on one of those things. They, they focus on knowledge. They say, we want people to know the truth. We're going to teach the truth. We're going to make sure that everybody comes into our classes and they, they know systematic theology, biblical theology, and that they study all the books of the Bible. They have uh, that all, they all down. They're going to know everything. They're going to have the books of the Bible memorized. And there are people that are just filled with head knowledge. And have you ever met a Christian? Because I have. Have you ever met a Christian who knew all of the books of the Old Testament? They, they could tell you all sorts of doctrines and theology and, and find a verse reference that you tell them like that. Yet they're so mean and rude and arrogant. Like curmudgeons. I've met them. We don't like them because they're jerks. Because they have a lot of head knowledge, and as the Bible says, knowledge puffs up. If we only have knowledge, it's not enough. And that's why even Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, if you are filled with all the knowledge, if you fathom all the mysteries of the world, but have not love, you are nothing. So knowledge is good, but only if it leads to action. So I don't want us to be an educational church. I don't want us to be a teaching church. Yes, we're going to teach. We, we believe in that. We believe that we're going to have good kids ministry, that we're going to have a great preschool year, we're going to teach you, but only so that it changes people's lives. Okay, so that, that's one area that churches can fall into. Just teaching, just the head knowledge. Right? But then the other side is the churches that only focus on the hands. They're all about, this is what you need to do. They want you to change your behavior, and they're so focused on what you do, and they make different rules, and they say, this, you can't do that, you can't dance, you can't do... All these, who knows what the rules are, they make rules and laws, or they're the churches that say, okay, now we need to go out, and we're going to skip church, and we're just going to go volunteer at the homeless shelter every week. We don't need to learn more, we need to do more. We need to go out, and we need to be politically active. They might be leaning to the right or to the left, but they're saying, we're going to go protest, we're going to do this and this and this, and every social issue that comes up, we're going to make sure we have a stand on it, because we're a church that acts. Okay, a lot of that stuff is good. A lot, I mean, some of that stuff is very good. We do want to be out serving the homeless. We do that, you know. We, twice a month, we, we try to get a group to go down and serve the homeless. We want you to volunteer. We want you to serve. But if it's only that, it can lead people to be arrogant in another way. You understand? You're not doing what you're supposed to. They look down at your nose. They're nosing you. They get angry. They're like, man, those people are just a bunch of talk. And it's the same thing. It can be a different type of arrogance when it's a church that only focuses on the hands. And here's the thing. If you only focus on those things, what you try to do is change people's behavior. But they can still be angry, rude, off people. Or they'll do it for a while because they feel shamed into doing it, and then they'll stop and never do it again. I see this happen all the time. You know, I can, I can inspire you guys. I can really get you pumped up and encouraged to do something. And maybe it will last a few weeks. Maybe. Probably it won't last past the parking lot. I'll be honest. It's hard to change people's behaviors. So we're not going to be a church that only tries to change your behavior and your actions. What we're talking about is the convergence of both those things. How are those things together, the head and the hand? And here's the thing. Because what we're seeking is transformation of lives. We're seeking the art of transformation of who you are as a person. That's what I mean by godliness. And this is what I want to say, is that transformation is greater than information, and transformation is greater than behavior modification. It is, because those things don't last. Transformation does. So how do we do it? That's a great goal, Matt. 
It's a great goal that Paul had for Titus and the, the Cretans. It's a great goal that we could have in the church. We want transformation. Awesome. Well, how do we get there? Glad you asked. Glad you asked. I heard an interview a while back with Angela Duckworth. And Angela Duckworth is a psychologist at the University of Pennsylvania. Brilliant. Has studied things like grit. She has a book called Grit. Like what makes kids actually like persevere and, and be great in our world and make a difference in our society. But she's also studied like how do we change behavior. And in this interview she was saying, she said, we've been able to study behavior. We've been able to see, you know, things like well, how do we get people to exercise more? She says, but the hardest thing in the world, she says, the biggest question that none of us psychologists can answer yet is how do we get people to actually change their behavior for a lifetime? It's the hardest question that we've ever faced. We can study things, but we can't ever figure out what changes them. And I love that interview because I'm like, yeah, that is the big question, right? How do we get people that have actually transformed lives? Because I don't think the answer is more information. I don't think the answer is that we need to go out and educate people. That's helpful. It's only part of the piece, right? It's only part of the puzzle. We, we don't go out there and say, we need new rules, new, new laws, we're going to change your behavior and make you do something different. Because then the people, as soon as you look the other way, are going to stop you. So how do we get both those things? How do we converge them together? And this is what I want to say. Where the head and the hand meet is the heart. I'm kind of cheesy. But where the head and the hand meet is the heart, and the only thing that truly transforms a heart is the gospel. The only thing that can truly transform someone's heart so that from the inside out they begin to change day by day, week by week, year by year for their lifetime is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is Paul's goal, this is my goal, and this is the goal of our church. So this is what I want us to see. If we can look at Titus 1-2. As Paul goes on, he's saying, okay, I want the goal of godliness, and he says this, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. So what in these two verses is Paul saying? He's using a lot of fancy words for the gospel. He's saying, in the hope of eternal life. Well, how do we have eternal life? I'm glad you asked. Because it was promised before the beginning of time. At which now, at this appointed season, he is brought to light through the preaching. He's saying, I'm preaching something, I'm teaching something, I'm proclaiming something that will change you and make you more godly. And it's the gospel. It's just promised here before the beginning of time. Did you know that when Adam and Eve are, are the first human beings, they sin, God gave them a command, okay, you can do anything, but just don't eat from that one tree, and what do they do? Eat from the one tree. So, right then, God is saying, well, hey, I said if you ate from the tree, you will surely die. That's the punishment. Sin equals death. But even from the beginning, when he talks to Adam and Eve, when he speaks to Eve in particular, he says, okay, there's a curse, there's going to be punishment, there's going to be death. But, 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 he says, from your offspring, Eve, will come one who will crush the head of the serpent. There's this promise in Genesis 3.15 at the very beginning that one person would come to save us from death, save us from Satan, the serpent, and evil. And then we're told later when, when there's someone like Abraham, God blesses Abraham and says, I'm going to make your family I'm a great nation, but, 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 I'm going to bless the entire world, all the nations, through you. Huh? So there's this promise. How is it going to happen? They're waiting. They're trying to figure it out. And then God would bring along people like Moses who gave the law. But even then, God said, but I will give a prophet even greater than Moses to come. And then when David came, 
And he was the great king of this nation, Israel. God said, David, you're good, but there's going to be one of your offspring, one of your sons, who will sit on the throne forever. And throughout the whole Old Testament, there's just this peace forward as if you get a little bit more of the promise that it's coming to fruition. And people are waiting and hoping in it. And finally, at the appointed season, it was brought to light. Because that offspring, that king, that, that one who saved the entire world, finally was brought into the world, and his name was Jesus. And he had a humble and lowly beginning. But unlike Adam and Eve, and unlike all humans before him, he actually did what God asked him to do. He was obedient. He was godly. He knew what the truth was, and he taught it clearly and with authority. But then he actually put it into action. He served people. He loved people. He hung out with people that everyone cast out of their society. He loved them, and he showed us what it was like to be godly. And though, even though he didn't deserve punishment, he was punished. He was put to death for sins and crimes he did not commit. And what happened then was what Martin Luther, the great theologian, called the great transaction. Because the punishment and death that we deserved was put onto Jesus on the cross. And the reward that he earned for his righteous life is given to us if we believe. That's the gospel. That can give hope to a dying world. And when Paul says this, that's the hope of eternal life, he says. That no matter what you've done, you can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Say, this message is powerful. It's powerful. When I told you the gospel right there, did it move your heart? It moves my heart. When Melissa tells me, I, I, I try to bring the gospel every single week that I'm here. And Melissa tells me, she's like, I've heard it for years and years and years, and it never gets old. Because it is a story, it is news, it's so powerful that somehow God infuses in it the power to transform our hearts. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, for the message of the cross, the gospel, is foolishness to those who are perishing. A man died on the cross, what's that? But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. There's a power to this news that teaching won't have. That giving rules and saying, this is how you should live your life, that doesn't have. But when those two things meet in the gospel, it does transform lives. And that's what we're about here. So this is our big idea. Write this down. The goal of the healthy church is godliness through the gospel. It's godliness through the gospel. And I say this because it's actually the gospel that will help fuel you forward in your godliness. It's the thing that's going to keep you moving forward and changing your behavior and becoming more like God, more like Jesus. Tim Keller said this, and I've shared this before, but it's so good. He says, the gospel is not just the ABCs, but the A to Z of Christianity. The gospel is not just the minimum required doctrine necessary to enter the kingdom, but the way we make progress in the kingdom. So that's why I share the gospel every week. Because it's hard to go out and love your neighbors. But if we realize that when we were enemies, Christ died for us, how can we not then go out and love others? How can we then not go out and, and, and not be Islamophobic and homophobic and transphobic, but instead love the people who God has called us to love? Or when we see that Jesus served us, even though he was God himself, he served us, laying down his life for us, how can we then not go out and serve others? See, the gospel, as we hear it again and again and again, transforms our hearts. 
every week, every day, every month, every year, and that's why we can grow in Godliness through the gospel. And, and that message has so much power, and that's what we're going to proclaim here again and again and again. And I hope that you want to be a part of a church life. If you're church shopping, this is what we're about. We're learning, we're growing healthier. This is going to be our goal. And I hope it's your goal too. Because when we focus on this goal and say, yeah, there's other good things, but this is going to be the main thing. God gives us the gospel. When we do that, we're going to take people who are broken. And they're going to find healing. We're going to take people who are wounded and hurting and help them and comfort them. We're going to take the people who are depressed and give them hope. We're going to take the people who have broken relationships and marriages and help mend and reconcile those things back together. We're going to see people then go out and take this message and bring it to their neighbors and their friends and their families and into Denver and into the world and we're going to see more lives transformed. That's our So if we could have the band come up right now. If you've been here and you're like, man, I've just kind of been checking out. It's my first time or I've been coming for a little while. I want you to seriously pray about becoming a part of our church. I want you to take this serious and really think about it, really pray about it, saying, is this the kind of church I want to be a part of? And if you're saying, no, I already think I am, but, but I'm not too sure, come next week to New Friends Lunch. You can get to know us a little bit better. So you can make a good decision. If you're saying, well, Matt, I've never believed in Jesus, but I think I do. I want that to be true. I think it's so powerful, that story that you told of Jesus dying and rising from the dead. And if you're saying, I believe that, then we're going to have a baptism coming up. That's so that you can publicly say, I do believe in Jesus on June 24th. So if you want to get baptized, you can mark that in your connection card and put it on one of the boxes on your way out. I want to baptize you. Make that public. It's fun. I love it. We've got a couple already lined up. We want a few more. If you're saying, well, Matt, I, I do feel like this is my church home, but I've never really invested in it. Well, maybe you need to do that today. And in your bulletin, we have a special card because we are looking for some summer volunteers. This is a good way for you to even take another step. Is this the church for me? So you can volunteer somewhere for a few weeks or a few months this summer. We need people running the soundboard. We need some musicians and singers. We need people helping the kids' ministry. We need help people mow the lawn. We need people help in the office, and social media. If you are interested in any of those things, mark your card. We can really use you anywhere that you want to serve. But we ask you to think about that. Prayerfully consider, how can I be a part of this church? So that we can keep the main thing the main thing. We can focus on our goal. That we can see people become more and more godly as we proclaim the gospel. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for that good news that Jesus Christ died for us. That he didn't even just stay dead though. That he rose from the dead to show us your power. And I pray that that message would transform our hearts so that we could become more and more godly every day. And when we fall into sin or struggle, that you pull us up and keep moving us forward so that we can become more and more like you. And I pray that this church might be built up. That we might grow healthier. That we might thrive and make a huge impact in lives to transform lives and communities through the gospel. Use us, Lord God, and make something new 